Let's take our Bibles and let's turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. I almost said Romans. Let's turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6 together. Last week we finished up the book of Romans. Next week, just so you know, we start a brand new series entitled A New Look at the Old Testament. And we're going to be looking at specific passages in the Old Testament. Each of us as elders and looking at New Testament implications of that Old Testament text. So that starts next week. So that leaves today. What's the pastor going to preach on today? Well, a few months ago, I asked our elders if they would be uh, comfortable with me teaching a Father's Day message today. And, you know, I've never done that in 13 years of preaching. I've never done a Father's Day message. And I was excited to hear that they were enthusiastic about it. And I shared one of the reasons that I wanted to teach on fathers on Father's Day is that I've been doing a lot of reading recently on the state of fatherhood in America and some of the the issues that our country is having with with the effects of fatherlessness. And I wanted to preach a message today, this Sunday, that would accomplish two things. I want to encourage the dads in our church. I want to encourage you dads, granddads here. And secondly, I want to exhort all of us, not just the dads, to keep doing what we're doing because the stakes are really high as it relates to children. And fatherlessness and bad fathering exacts a toll on kids. We're seeing that right now. And if, you don't need me to tell you that. You can see that just looking out on our country. Father, fathering in our country has fallen on hard times. A high percentage of children in America today are born into fatherless households. A high percentage of kids today grow up in broken homes where mom and dad don't live in the same place or where dad is MIA. It's possible today in our world for a single woman to go into a sperm bank and totally bypass the utility of a male for pregnancy. That is not how God had in, has intended family or pregnancy. It's possible today for two gay women to go into a sperm bank or two gay men, by the way, as well, to go into a surrogacy clinic and bypass God's good provision for marriage of marriage to give kids a father and a mother at home to help them through all the challenges of infancy and adolescence and then ultimately adulthood. That right there is a great moral tragedy in many ways. I don't have time to get into all of that. And it, these, these issues, this situation in our country has not produced the positive results that some people mistakenly believe it has. If you want more on that, you can read Katie Faust's book, Then Before Us, Why We Need a Global Children's Rights Movement. That book is terrifying and moving both. By the way, I've read two really influential books this year that have helped me to prepare for this message. And both of those books are written by women. Katie Faust's book, Then Before Us, and also Mary Eberstadt's book, Primal Screams. When the women in our country are standing up and saying, men, you need to step it up. You know we got an issue in our country. And we do have an issue. And let, let me say this too. I need to say this. I feel compelled to say this. We have great dads here at Harvest Decatur. 
Okay, we do. This is not an indictment on the fathers of Harvest Decatur. If anything, today, I want to encourage you, dads, keep doing what you're doing. But I also want to warn you about how high the stakes are. And, I mean, let's, let's face it. Satan is out there after men, after dads. And if we think as dads that we're, you know, impervious to Satan's attack, be careful lest you fall. Or that we're impervious to temptations to abdicate our responsibility as dads. So here's the question that I want to ask this morning. What do the scriptures say about fathers and fathering? Okay, I'm, okay so I, I'm not a cultural analysis. I'm a, I'm a pastor, okay? Just a lowly pastor. And the question that I have to ask and answer is, what do the scriptures say about these topics? What do the scriptures say about fathers and fathering? And you might be surprised to know that the, the Bible doesn't say that much directly. Not direct, in fact, most of the passages that speak about fathering are actually given to children. Children obey. Children respect. Children honor your parents, your fathers. The book of Proverbs says over and over again, my son, listen to the instruction of your father. But I want to be clear about that, especially as it relates to the Proverbs. The Proverbs writer is assuming there that you as a father have words that are worth heeding, dad. That's, that's an assumption built right into the Bible. That, that you as a dad, you have something to say that's worthy of your kids to listen to. That's a big assumption in our day today. That's, that's a high calling right there. So implicitly, there is a lot in, what, in the Bible about fathering. Maybe not directly, but we do have one passage that speaks directly to fathers. And I'm going to spend most of my time today there. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. It's this precious passage that I think succinctly captures our duty as dads, okay? So I've entitled this message today, Define Fatherlessness. I want to give you, fathers in this room, five directives from Scripture on your duty as a father. This is for all of us, okay? I know I'm going to speak directly to the dads this morning. As father. This is for all of us. We all have a stake in this. So granddads, grandmoms, moms, those of you who are single, all of us can rally behind this and help the fathers in this room to do this well, okay? Five directives, write these down. Here's the first. Fathers, give your children expectations. Give your children expectations. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 let me go all the way up to verse 1. Paul says this, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. I've had Alistair memorize that in 10 different Bible versions. <laughs> when he was real little, I, I used to ask him, you know what daddy's favorite verse is? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. We used to sing songs about it in my household. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. We, you know what that is? Singing songs like that when they're little? It's good old-fashioned brainwashing. That's what it is. We did it like Taylor Swift. We just did it better than her and earlier. We sang songs about this. Look at verse 2. Honor your father and mother, kids. This is the first commandment with the promise 
Verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's nothing more, verse 2 and verse 3, that's nothing more than Paul giving the fifth commandment to us of the Ten Commandments. And it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that has this promise attached to it. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You might say, I thought this message today was about fathering, not being a good kid, Pastor Tony. Well, listen, here's the point that I want to make here. Fathers, listen to me. When you expect your children to obey you, you are doing right by them. You are doing right to expect them to obey you. You are giving them an opportunity to access the blessings of Scripture when you do that. When you say, obey me, because when you obey me, God promises this to you. It is right for you to do that, to expect them to obey to access the promise of the fifth commandment here. James Dobson, he says this in his book, Dare to Discipline. If, if you need reading on this, read this book. He says, whenever there's a battle of wills between you and your children, at a young age, you have to win that battle, parents. You have to win, and you have to win decisively. They need to know that you are the authority in the home. It's healthy for them. It's stabilizing for them. To know dad's in charge, mom's in charge. It's good for them. I know this goes totally against our contemporary wisdom, the contemporary wisdom in our day, right? I mean, people in our day think that children are innocent and intelligent and insightful and parents are just dopes. You know, you watch TV or movies today and the kids, the kids just espouse wisdom and erudition and the, the parents just run around like dunderheaded nincompoops I just think to myself, where, where do they get these parents? That's not even consistent with reality. And, and that's not what the Bible teaches about parents and children. Parents are called to teach and to train their children. Because they, this is the understanding in the Bible, they have the wisdom to bestow upon the kids. So let me say this again, parents, I'm speaking to the dads especially. When you expect your kids to obey you, you are doing right. You are doing right by them. You are blessing their lives. You're preparing them for a life filled with promise and goodness. They need to obey you. And you're, this is important too, your words need to be worthy of obeying. Right? And, and some of you, some people in our culture today might say, oh, that's a lot of pressure. I don't, I don't like that. I, I don't want that pressure as a dad. Well, welcome to fathering. And some men in our country need to need an exhortation from Scripture to man up and quit being a kid and grow up. God has created you as a man to take on that task, to bear that burden. He gave you these broad shoulders so that you can carry the task of fathering into your home and lead your children. So let's do this, dads. Let's keep doing it. And hear me on this too. There are cases in our world where children... This breaks my heart, where children unfortunately have to disobey their dads in order to obey God. That is a tragedy. Don't ever make your kids choose between obeying God and obeying dad. Those two things should be in sync. Give your kids expectations. Expect that they obey. And make sure that they're obeying the right things that you're asking of them to do what God is asking of them to do. Right? Amen? Y'all with me, dads? 
Am I being too tough? Am I? Can y'all handle this? Moms, y'all doing okay too? Don't elbow your husbands in the face right now as I'm talking, right? Just tap on their thighs if you need to or tap them on the back. Secondly, write this down. Fathers, give your children discipline. It's a gift to your children. Give them discipline. Paul says in verse four, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. This is the verse. This is the verse that every man needs to know by heart. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We'll talk more about provoking to anger in a second, but let's talk about discipline and then let's talk about instruction. These two words at the end. You know, some of you might even say, as you read verse four, think to yourself, fathers, bring up your children, bring up. I thought that's women's work. I thought women do the raising. You know, we go to work and we put food on the table and we provide, but women do the child rearing, right? Not according to the apostle Paul. Apostle Paul says, fathers, you bring them up. You lead your household. You bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And this is right on the heels of Ephesians 5, right? Where Paul told husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church. This is part of a whole package of fathers leading their homes. Husbands leading their wives. Husbands leading in the home. Showing even the way as they discipline and give instruction to the kids. You know, we use this this verbiage from Ephesians 6, 4. We use it for baby dedications. I do here all the time at Harvest Decatur. And we, we have parents commit to raise their children in the, you know, the, I use the King James verbiage, right? Nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's how I learned it when I was a kid. And we talk about that. I talk about that as being like a duty among husbands and wives both. And, and it is, for sure it is. But I just want to be clear here. Paul, at the beginning of verse 4, he singles out fathers. You take the lead on this, Dad. You're the one that's supposed to... To, to guide in this way and to take charge of this. Wives shouldn't have to beg or nag their husbands to get involved in the lives of their children. Wives shouldn't have to beg or nag their husbands to get to church or to bring the kids to church. Or wives shouldn't have to drag their kids to church and then say, hey, dad, would you come with us, please, please, please? Husbands should lead that task. Husbands should take the kids to church. Husbands should teach the kids how to work, how to love people, how to care for others, how to play, how to have fun, how to respect other people. Dad should take the charge, take, take the lead on that. Paul tells fathers in verse four to bring them up. This is a command in Greek. Do this, dad. Do it. The Greek word here is ektrefo. Ektrefo. It has the idea of feeding them or nourishing them, their souls, not their bodies, although you need to work and put food on the table too. It's a tough task being a dad. Ektrefo, it's actually the same word in Ephesians 5 verse 29. You might even see that if it's on the same page of your Bible. Ephesians 5 verse 29, Paul says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it. Ektrefo, you know, none of you dads, you, none of you go hungry. If you're hungry, you, you, you feed yourself. You take care of yourself. You open up the fridge and you feed yourself. You know how to nourish yourself in the same way you're supposed to nourish your kids, Paul says here. You're supposed to be in charge of that in the home. You don't delegate that to mom and then skip town. You're in charge. Mary Eberstadt, she writes in her article, Every, every dad should go home and read this article, The Fury of the Fatherless. 
She writes about how a lot of the unrest in our country is actually the result of epidemic fatherlessness in our country, and I'm inclined to agree with her. What she argues is that a lot of the rage of many adolescents and young adults on social media and in places like Portland and other places, kids are just going nuts. A lot of that is the result of kids who are undernourished by their dads. They're neglected from living in dysfunctional fatherless homes. I think she's on to something. And that's the exact opposite of what Paul commands dads in this passage. Fathers, bring up your children, nourish your children in the Lord. Nourish them. How do I do that, Pastor Tony? Well, Paul gives us two words here. Discipline and instruction. Let's first talk about discipline. This is an important word. Discipline. The Greek word for discipline here is the word padia. And it's a word that also has the idea of training. So not just discipline, but discipleship and training. You train your children. You nurture your children with the use of discipline. You, yes, you discipline them, meaning you, you spank them when they are young. I think that's important. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son. Whoever loves his son is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 22, 15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it from them. Some of your kids are going to need more spankings than other kids. Spankings is just, it's just one tool in your tool belt. One way that you can discipline your kids, especially when they're young, and that you better have more on your tool belt than just that as you're raising them. I think I've said this before. When I was a kid, you can verify this with my parents Oh, goodness. Let me say it this way. I needed a higher than average number of spankings when I was a little boy. Does that surprise anybody in this room? My mom swears that that book written by James Dobson, The Strong-Willed Child, she swears that that book was written about me. And my face should have been on that cover. And what was interesting is that my sister was totally different. You know, all my dad had to do was raise his voice and she would just crumble in front of him into a pile of mush. Different kids need different kinds of discipline. And you've got to play the hand that you've been dealt, okay? Some of you have kids that are just like you. Some of you have kids that are totally different from you. And you're like, where did this come from? Where did that DNA strand come from that got down here? Whatever hand you've been dealt, you, you've got to learn to discipline them. And then as they age, you've got to change discipline. You've got to change training. Let me just state the obvious. You can't spank a teenager, okay? It doesn't work. It's fruitless. There's other ways to discipline as they get to that age. And I think with discipline, too, we need to be sensitive to the outworking of the gospel. Speaking about this, Tim Keller says this, I think sometimes we're like, well, we got discipline and we got the gospel, and, and those are like against each other. I don't think that's the case. And Keller says this, he says, why is it that many of us under-discipline our children? He says, I can tell you I tended to under-discipline my children because I wanted their approval. I couldn't bear to have them look at me and call me a cruel person because I needed their approval. I really wasn't living out of who I was in Christ. The gospel alone frees me from the need for my children's approval to discipline them sufficiently. On the other hand, and some of you might be in this category, why do some of us over-discipline? 
Why do some people, not me, says Keller, why do some people over-discipline? We over-discipline our kids because we can't, we can't bear them to be failures. We can't bear them to be imperfect. We can't bear them to be wrong in any way. The gospel and only the gospel will free you from the need to have your children be just right, just perfect. We need the gospel as we discipline them, not as an enemy to the gospel. The dis- discipline is not an enemy to the gospel. It works in concert with the gospel. Write this down as number three. Fathers, here's another thing you need to give your children. You need to give your children instruction. You need to give them instruction. The Bible says, Proverbs 22, verse six, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The Bible says, Proverbs 1, verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. The Bible says this, Proverbs 29, 18, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. What is your vision for your children's lives, Dad? What is your vision for them? What do you want for them? I'll just tell you right now, the government has a vision for your children's lives. They do. The LGBT activists have a vision for your children's lives. Their baseball coach has a vision for their life. Their friends have a vision for your children's lives. Everybody's got a vision for your children's life. Do you have a vision for their life? Do you know what you want them to look like? Where there is no vision, prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Where there's no God-directed, God-honoring vision. Here's another way to translate that. The people run wild. Your kids, that, that sounds like kids with no vision. They just run wild. By the way, do you know what the verse is? I've mentioned this before. The verse right before Proverbs 29, 18. People quote that all the time, Proverbs 29, 18. It's one of the most oft-quoted passages in the Bible. Where there's no prophetic vision. The, the people cast off restraint. What's the verse right before that? Do you know? In Proverbs? Proverbs 29, 17. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. And then where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. I know, I know you're saying, Pastor Tony, the Proverbs, you can't always derive context verse to verse. I know, I know. The context can change on a dime in the book of Proverbs. But I think these two verses go together. In other words, what what the writer of Proverbs is telling you is that that's your vision right there, that you discipline in your son so that he can give you rest, so that he can be a delight to your heart. So there's two different kinds of parenting. There's visionless parenting where the kids go wild. There's no instruction. There's no guidance. There's no vision. There's, they just go nuts. And then there's vision parenting. There's, here's how you do this, son, daughter. There's instruction in the ways of the Lord. You teach them in the ways of the Lord, and they grow in that. Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 4, Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word for instruction here is the Greek word nuthesia. Nuthesia. And it's a word that connotes teaching or counsel. I don't counsel my kids. That's mama's work. No, you do, dad. It's it's, it's teaching, it's counsel. The stronger word from the King James is admonition. Dad, your kids need this. 
They need instruction. They need guidance. Studies have actually shown that giving your kids bad guidance is better than giving them no guidance at all. At least they have a starting place to work with. Now, I'm not saying that's better. Here's the best scenario. Give them good guidance. They need it. Instead of just absentee, you know, they'll figure it out whenever they get older. You might say, okay, okay, Pastor Tony, my kids need instruction. My, my kids need vision. What should my vision be? Well, thankfully, Paul qualifies that last statement here. He doesn't just talk about instruction per se, like how to change a tire. He says instruction of the Lord. You are responsible to teach your children about God, about the Lord, about the Lord's ways. So let me help you with this here, dads. Here's your vision. Your vision for your kids' lives is that they know God and that they follow God, that they obey his word. That's your vision. If they have that, if you've given them that, they have everything they need, even if they don't have anything else. If they don't have that, they don't have anything, even if they have everything else. You need to teach them God's ways. You need to teach them about God. You have a more prime way to do that, place to do that, than even I do as their pastor. I mean, I'm here on Sunday. And, and a lot of times the kids aren't even here. They're in Harvest Kids. You have a prime opportunity every day to teach them the gospel, to teach them about God. Don't waste that opportunity. They need that. Listen, they don't need an Ivy League education. They're better off not having an Ivy League education. They don't need a contract to play professional sports. They're probably better off not having that. Your kids don't need to be virtuoso pianists. Your kids don't need to speak a second language. They're Americans. We specialize in speaking one language. Your kids don't need to conjugate Latin verbs or Hebrew verbs or Greek verbs. You know what they need? They need God's word. They need the gospel. You need to instruct them in the ways of the Lord. And dads, that's on you. That is on you. Don't delegate that to church or delegate that to mom or to grandpa. You do that. Moms can be helpful. My mom led me to Christ. My mom led Alistair to Christ. So I'm not downplaying that. I'm just saying, Dad, you've got to pull your weight. I can't tell you. <laughs> I miss those days. Those of you who have young kids, I know sometimes you're like, I can't wait till they get older. <laughs> I miss those days. Putting them in bed, reading their children's Bibles. I loved the illustrations in those children's Bibles. Singing the same songs over and over again when Alistair was just a little tyke. I miss those days. Those were good days. Don't miss those opportunities. Work can wait till tomorrow. Put work away. You can get to your honey-do list on Saturday. Put that away. Take your kids to bed and teach them God's word. And I know some of you here, just a reminder, some of you dads, 
You do a great job with that. You do better than I did with my son. Keep doing that. Don't quit on that. One day you'll wake up and your kids are taller than you are. They're wearing your clothes and they're driving a car and you're like, what happened? Where did that go? A couple more things here. Write this down as a fourth thing that children need from their dads. Fathers, give your children peace in the home. Give them peace. The book of Proverbs says this, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Better that your kids eat vegetables in a house of peace. Proverbs 17, verse 1, better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. I know some of y'all grew up in homes like that. Give your, parent, give your kids something better than what you had, if that's the case. Give them a house of peace. One of my favorite all-time quotes is the following from Tommy Nelson. Y'all can read this on the screen. You guys know I'm kind of a quote junkie, right? I like quotes. And this is one of my favorites. I try to share this with young couples before they get married as we kind of touch on the topic of kids. Tommy says, if there is warmth and love and tenderness in the home between parents, you can violate just about every other child-rearing principle there is and still end up with a good kid. That's not an admonition, that's a comfort, okay? So I'm not giving you advice here to do that. I'm just saying that the most important thing in your life, in your home, is for you to be at peace with your wife and to have a home of peace with your kids. And I would say the opposite of that is true. You, I mean, you can do everything right in child raising, everything. I mean, you can, you can homeschool them. You can regulate their diet so they have no artificial sweeteners or anything. You can make sure they never listen to music on a radio or anywhere else. Never go to YouTube. You can make sure they never watch a movie. You can do everything, quote unquote, right in that. But if they don't see in your relationship with your wife, love and peace and care, they will reject every other thing that you say because it hasn't got into your heart in the way you live your life. The most important thing, dads, that you need to do for your kids, the most important way that you can love them is to love their mama and love her well and give them a peaceful home. In that same vein, the Apostle Paul says, fathers, this is verse four again, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. The NIV says it this way. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Alistair asked me to memorize that verse in 10 different versions. (laughs) Do not exasperate them. Don't pair or gizo them. That word in Greek just sounds horrible. Don't pair or gizo them. Or gizo means to make angry. Parorgizo means to provoke to anger. Paul's command here gets to the heart of what bad parenting and bad fathering causes in children. It causes anger. It causes exasperation. 
How do we do that, dads? How do we do that? You're like, Pastor Tony, be more specific. Okay. I'll give you eight ways to exasperate your children. This is like a Babylon B article, okay? Eight ways to exasperate your children. Here we go. Taking these from a message preached by Alistair Begg. You can write these down. Number one, fail to allow your children to be children. Y'all ever made that mistake? Expecting of them more maturity than what their age actually requires? Expecting them to know things they can't possibly know, making, them, making unreasonable demands upon them? That's exasperating for kids. That's discouraging. Just let them be kids. I know they embarrass you sometimes. That's okay. You probably need it. And you can make it up to them when they're teenagers. So there you go. Just log it away. Here's a second way. Treat them with harshness and with cruelty. That's exasperating. That'll provoke them to anger. And, And I don't mean just physical. Yes, I mean physical harshness for sure. Spankings, do not let those get out of hand. Make sure you are calm and even-tempered when you do that. My dad would weep openly when he spanked us. I felt more bad for him than I felt for me. It's okay, Dad. I I needed it. I really did. I needed it. I'm not just talking about physical harshness, though. I'm talking about verbal harshness. Those things hurt, too. When you insult your children or when you belittle them, or when you refuse to forgive them, or when you you force them to appease your anger. Don't do that. When when you're in a bad mood and you make them walk on eggshells, don't make any slight movements or you're going to make dad angry. Don't do that. Here's a third way. You ridicule them in front of other people. Be careful with that. Alistair Begg says when you have other kids staying over at your house and you tell your children, hey, why don't you look more like that kid? Why don't you act more like that guy? Why aren't you more like Kim or her? Little words that we regard as inconsequential that go into tiny hearts and tiny minds and harm and hurt and exasperate. Be careful with that. Fourthly, dads, here's a way to exasperate them. Display favoritism. Love one kid more than another. Tell one kid, why can't you be more like your sister? Why can't you be more like your brother? This was the sin of Jacob in the Old Testament, right? Favoring Joseph over the other children. And, you know, he created such enmity among his kids that they actually sold the favored son Joseph into slavery it's a great tragedy in the Bible and that doesn't absolve those kids Jacob's sons of doing that they committed their sins they're responsible before the Lord for what they did and and quite frankly Joseph was responsible for his sins as well he was an arrogant little cuss in the Bible and he he brought it on to himself nevertheless that doesn't absolve the father for what he did, showing favoritism. Don't do that. If you need an object lesson in that, just read the end of the book of Genesis. 
Fifthly, refuse to give approval of their accomplishments. It's never good enough. Never quite met the mark. Never didn't meet your expectations perfectly. Can I just give you advice, advice here, dads? When your little one, when your daughter brings you a picture that she spent all afternoon painting, and when you look at that thing and you're not sure if it's a picture of you or the dog, whatever she drew, can I just give you some advice? Just, just fall all over yourself. Oh my goodness, this is amazing. Just treat it like the Mona Lisa. She just painted the most amazing thing ever. Can you just tell me, sweetie, just so I'm sure, to like, who is this here? Oh, I knew it. I knew it was a dog. Not me. Just fall all over yourself. Don't ever create a sense of, I, I, I can't ever do enough to please my, my dad, my mom. I can't ever do enough. Celebrate the little accomplishments in their lives. You should be just as excited when they obey as you are disappointed when they disobey. Sixthly, be arbitrary in the exercise of discipline. Man. Be arbitrary. Be capricious, you know. One day it's this and the next day it's something totally different. A young person told Warren Wearsby once, she said, my father used to use a cannon to kill a mosquito when he disciplined us. He would just go overboard. And then the next day I could get away with murder. That is so destabilizing for a young person. One day it's this, and the next day it's something else, and one day it's this. The kids just don't know. It's a moving target. That's incredibly exasperating for children. And I know how it is. Some days you come home and you're grumpy, right? Dads, had a bad day at work, and then you just kind of blow up on some random thing, and then the next day it's like, happy, happy, daddy. What in the world? As As best you can, be consistent day-to-day with your use of discipline. Seventhly, here's another way to exasperate them. Make them feel like an intrusion on your life. Make them feel like an an inconvenience that's getting in the way of your career or getting in the way of your hobbies, getting in the way of your, your golf game or your hunting schedule. By the way, nobody ever says on their deathbed, I wish I spent more time at the office. Nobody ever says that. Nobody ever says, I wish I spent more time working on my handicap. You know what people do say on their deathbed? I should have spent more time with my kids. I should have spent more time with my kids when they were young. That's what people say. And then eighthly, live vicariously through them. Try to relive your own experiences as a child through them. Kids love that. Make them pursue all the same things that you pursued. Make their interests conform to your interests. Let them know that your entire existence is dependent upon them. Kids love that. So they just feel the weight of that. Don't do that to them. And besides, you don't want them to conform to your image. You want them to conform to the image of Christ. Right? If some of you brave dads out there, let me just encourage you with that list. You might take that list. If your kids are emotionally mature enough to handle it, just say, come on, just hit me. What, what does daddy do that exasperates you? I'm ready. Just, you know, put your big boy pants on and go ask your kids. They'll tell you. 
and then maybe make some changes. Maybe not on Father's Day. Wait, wait till tomorrow. One more thing. Here's a fifth thing that children need from their dads. And ironically, it's the same thing that dads need from their heavenly father. Fathers, give your children grace. Your children need grace. Your children need the gospel. Amen? Your children need the gospel. We're not seeking to raise good kids. We're seeking to raise gospel kids. So, dads, give them the freedom of forgiveness. Give them grace when they repent. If they're defiant, give them discipline, okay? If they're repentant, give them grace. Show them what that looks like to repent before their father in heaven. I wrote, by the way, just, I know there's, I always get nervous when I preach a sermon like this that's really convictional about how we should be because I know just there's so much, there's so many father wounds out there. There's so much failure in our world and some of you have even grown up in flawed families, And I just feel like, man, if I hit this too hard, people are just going to feel the weight of it and just feel self-condemned. And I wrote an article for the GCC website this last week, and I tried to give this disclaimer, and I want to read it. Just so you know, even if there is failure in your own life and in, or in your own parents' life, there's, there's grace. Here's what I wrote. I realize that we live in a world with lots of failed dads who need God's grace and forgiveness. I also realize that we have grown kids in churches who were failed horribly by their fathers. That can even be the majority in some churches. And pastors need to learn how to preach to those father wounds. But we should also support and encourage and challenge faithful dads among us who are doing their best. And if that's you, keep up the good work, Dad. Keep letting your light shine before others so they may see your good work and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The reality is this. Even the best dads here, the reality is that you will fail your children. You will. Tell them that. Tell them. And then point them to the father that never fails them the perfect father that sent his perfect son as the perfect sacrifice for your sin and their sin they need the gospel they need to know that yes they're sinners and their sin can be removed by faith in Jesus Christ and their father in heaven will forgive them if they repent of their sins and come to Christ they need to hear that You know what your most important teaching role is, Dad? It's not teaching them how to throw a baseball. It's not teaching them how to change a tire. It's teaching them that they need Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's the most important thing you're going to teach them. Teach them well. Teach them that well. Teach them the way of grace. And here's an important reminder for you, Dads. I'll close with this. I've said this before. I just want to reiterate it. How many years do you get with your kids? 
18, maybe a few more. You don't own your kids. They don't belong to you ultimately. One day you got to let them go. You got to let them go and turn them over to their father who is in heaven. And your goal in raising them is not that they would have an allegiance to you forever and ever and ever. That actually hamstrings kids if their allegiance is to their father or mother above all else. Their allegiance needs to be to the Lord above everything else. That's what you want to leave them with 18 years from now, 14 years from now, 10 years from now, three years from now, six months from now. I do this from time to time. I I did some math yesterday trying to figure out how many days I have left with Alistair before he goes to college. Let's say he goes to college on August 15th, 2025. No pressure, son. If that's the case, then Sonny and I have 1,518 days left with him in our home, which is great because I have 1,518 lessons left to teach. One per day, we'll get it done. What's shocking about that is that I checked that every once in a while, and it wasn't that long ago that it was 2,000 days. It wasn't that long ago that it was 2,500 days. It wasn't that long ago that it was 3,000 days, 4,000 days. It might be a good exercise for some of you dads to just go Google that this afternoon. How many days left until August 15th, 2031? I know you know this, but one day you're going to have to release your kids into God's care completely. That day is fast approaching. And our goal and our prayer for them, even as a church, is that they would say, God, you are my God. Not my father's God. Not my mother's God. Not my pastor's God. You are my God. And I will love you and serve you all the days of my life. That's our goal for them. What are we doing here at Harvest Decatur? We're raising up an army of Jesus followers, aren't we? Dad, you are so strategic in that. You have, more, you have a more strategic role with your children than even I do as their pastor or even Heather Jackson has as Harvest Kids Coordinator. Take Ephesians 6, 4 to heart. Don't provoke your children. Raise them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Pray with me. Let's pray towards that. If you're sitting next to a father right now, can I just encourage you, or a grandfather, can I just encourage you to put your hand on that man right now? as I pray.
Lord, thank you for the dads of Harvest Decatur. I'm so proud of these men. I'm so thankful for the sacrifices they make for their kids. Help them, Lord. Help them specifically to not exasperate their kids. Help them practically, Lord. If there's ways that they've been convicted today, help them to confess that before you and change. And God, help the men of our church to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Help them to know God's Word and to teach God's Word. And direct their children to Christ. And God, we give you praise as our Father in heaven, the perfect Father who sent his perfect Son as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Father, you love us more than we deserve. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for calling us your own. Thank you for giving us the liberty in Christ Jesus to cry out, Abba, Father. To come before you, the throne of grace, with confidence in light of what Jesus has done for us. We love you, Lord. We worship you.